Welcome to Owls House. It's me. It's your main man. It's your main man and host. It's Owls. And I'm back. Episode number 45. 45 coming your way. And as always, guys, I just want to say thank you so much. I appreciate everybody, you know, coming back, listening to the show. Hope everybody's having a good time. I'm still having a good time. We are seven episodes away from 52, one full year of shows, and I'm trucking right to it. I'm going, probably going to get to it. We'll see, but I think I'm going to keep going, keep going through it. I said I was going to do this for a year and see where I stood. As of now, as of episode 45, I'm having a great time. I'm keeping it going as of now. Hey, maybe the world gets blown up and we don't have to worry about 53, but as of right now, expect an episode 52 and then expect a 53. So... Before we get into the show, you know what we're doing, that housekeeping. If you guys could, please rate, review, comment, subscribe, share, tell a friend, tell somebody you know, tell your family. Thanksgiving's coming. Just put old Wall's house on. Take that phone out, push play, set it in the middle of the Thanksgiving table, and just say, this is my Thanksgiving gift to you. There you go. Now everybody knows what you can give as a gift for Thanksgiving. Gifts aren't just for Christmas anymore. Gifts can be for Thanksgiving, too. Okay, got a cool show coming for you this uh, this week. Got an interview with a new guest, a new guest. We're going to talk some NIL and some other things. The Packers are winners, baby. We got to talk the pack. We're talking NFL. We got some UFC to cover. The Flyers, uh, we're going to talk about that. And as always, guys, you know, you get my passing thoughts. And alas, don't let me forget about college football. We're going to talk about that, too. So, Without any further ado, let's go to our brand new guest. Joining me now, we have a first-time guest. Our new guest this week is Jim Christiana. Jim is from Pennsylvania, where he was a former PA House of Representatives member. He now runs M7 Sports, and we're going to talk to him probably quite a bit here about uh, NIL in college sports and how that affects college, and I believe even some high school athletes a little bit. So, Jim, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Jordan, thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, hey, Jim, I, I, I found, I was, when I saw your kind of, your bio and the stuff when I, I discovered you, I was, one of the first things that caught my, my attention was you were from Pennsylvania, and I got looking into you, and, you know, you're, you're, we're talking about NIL, but one of the other things I found interesting was you became a member of the PA House of Representatives at a pretty young age, uh, if I'm not mistaken, about 26 years old, is, am I doing the math right there? You're close. Uh, I had just turned 25. Okay. How did you get involved? I mean, that's a that's quite the quite the accomplishment at such a young age. How did you get involved in politics so young and so successful so young, too? Well, uh, first I'd say just getting elected doesn't necessarily mean you're successful. Right? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, most people think getting elected is the goal, but I actually tend to think that uh, getting reelected really mm-hmm. is the goal, uh, in a sense. Um but to answer your question, I, I, I guess I was just uh, crazy enough to, to, to put my name in the hat and give voters a, uh, a choice. Um, at that time, um, uh, we had, we'd been stuck with a lot of the same old, same old uh, elected officials, and um, there had been abuse of office and people going to jail and all kinds of crazy things in Pennsylvania politics at the time. And 
So the voters had really had enough, and, and so uh, I stepped up to run. I had actually already been elected once before. I was uh, elected as my uh, one of my hometown councilmen when I was 21. Uh, I had actually sponsored a property tax cut. So when I, even though I was pretty young running for the legislature, you know, I really was able to put my um, my political accomplishments up against my opponent's political accomplishments or the lack thereof, and really give people a contrast, which is kind of unusual for a 25 year old running for office, right? Um, but I think it added credibility, and um, you know, as a, as oftentimes the case. Um, it, it required running in a good cycle too, and in mm-hmm. good timing. Um, so those, I'd say, those were the the main factors of how I got elected. Yeah, and you said you know being reelected is a measure of success. I would say you had some good success there because then you were reelected four more times to the to the House of Representatives in Pennsylvania. So I, I would say you you must have done a pretty good job because not only were you reelected, you were reelected with over sixty percent of the vote in every one of those. So. I would have to say, if that's how you're judging some success, you did did well in that aspect. Well, I think so, and I, um, you know, when you look at the fact too that um, I was in the minority party for my district, I had more, um, and and really, it doesn't really matter to a certain degree if you're Democrat or Republican. You could, if you can appreciate the fact that you know I was elected, kind of over, reelected overwhelmingly by voters of the other party. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I think that was, um, a product of my, you know, the way in which I approached the job. And then ultimately, I think one of my greatest uh, accomplishments was that I imposed a, uh, a self-imposed term limit pledge. Um, I said I wouldn't run beyond five terms in 10 years. Um, and I honored that and left in 2018. Yeah, I think we might be better off if some more people in politics kind of did that and, you know, did their time as, you know, serving and in the legislature or whatever different form of office and then kind of moved on and, and you didn't end up with all these lifetime politicians. So I, I would say that's a very respectable thing you did there. Well, thank you. Uh, And I would agree that um, uh, purging the system is oftentimes uh, very effective. Mm -hmm. And I think it would alleviate a lot of the frustration that people have right now in in politics. And certainly I am so thankful that I got out when I did, and um, in many ways, the, the political dynamic has changed quite a bit since 2018. Yeah, I would say it's probably gotten a little messy since you've uh, since you've left. So I, I could imagine you've probably had a big sigh of relief, especially after you know the 2020 election and then these midterm elections, and you know it's it's messy. It, I think is the best way to put it, at least in my opinion. I don't know what you think of them or. You know, it feels like election days become election week now, and you know it takes forever to count votes. And it, uh, yeah, I can imagine you're sitting on the sidelines now, thinking, "Oh, I, I'm happy not to be in part of that." That's a fact, Jordan. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's exhausting. Um, I think it's also why uh, people are frustrated by it and uh, frustrated by the process um, becoming ever more partisan. Um, it's less issue based. It's even less uh, candidate-based uh, in many ways, uh, and and for that, um, I never liked the the toxicity. Um, well, you kind of deal with it when you're a candidate, um, but I'm definitely glad, especially having young kids. Um, I'm, I'm glad to be on the other side. 
Nice. Yeah, so and your other side now, you are the managing partner of M7 Sports. And how did you find that transition into M7 and then the M7 Sports kind of came second after that? Did you always have an interest in kind of the marketing and things of that nature? Or was that something you just kind of, after your political career was done, you just kind of sat back and thought, what am I going to do? And kind of got to it. So kind of just walk walk us through how you got there. Um, I got there by always appreciating and paying attention to the, the visual and the verbal aspects of marketing. You know, as a candidate and as an elected official, you know, I was exposed to the, the omni-channel approach. There's, you know, when you're in elected office or a candidate, you really use all marketing mediums available, not to mention constantly being in, in the media and the earned media space, too. So, you know, I call it the visual and the verbal components of marketing. Um, I was very active from the very beginning and appreciated uh, brand value and brand identity um, it was typically through the candidate lens, but if done right, that should be applicable across all mediums. Um, you know, I understood how to run effective campaigns, how to make smart um, campaign buys. The difference versus, you know, the political establishment and the political marketing versus what I built at M7 was that I surrounded myself with, with actual marketing talent, marketing uh, creatives that are are actually effective, um, which is not the case all the time in politics. You know, we just came through one of the probably the most expensive election cycle, um, most expensive midterm election cycles ever. And there was no shortage of advertisements, but there was a, a shortage of quality advertisements. And a lot of times that's because political marketing um, is being done by political consulting firms, which are just old hacks, so mm-hmm. to speak. Uh, old old elected officials or bureaucrats or, or staff members, and they really don't have marketing talent associated with it. And so, you know, what happens is that people don't like the political marketing for a reason, and it's because it's really garbage. Yeah, I can't tell <laughs> and, you how many times, you know, in the, you know, the month leading up to the midterms, you know, you're just getting bombarded with, you know, ad after ad, and every one of them makes you roll your eyes, and you're I just think to myself, I'm like, who is this convincing? I, I don't know. I don't know what the target is. I'm like, I just, I see him. I'm like, I don't know why this, anyone would look at that and be like, oh yeah, that's, that's a good reason for me to go vote for somebody. What's crazy is, you know what? You ask somebody, um, you ask an expert, quote unquote expert in that field. And you know what they often say is like, well, it works. That's why we do it. And, and, and that's complete BS because just because there's a winner and a loser in a campaign, right? Doesn't mean your marketing was effective. Doesn't mean that it was good. <laughs> it's just the nature of campaigns, like somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. I'll give you a good example. So candidate A attacks candidate B. Candidate B responds. And so A and B go back and forth, and then one of them's going to win. But what happens is they're like, see, negative campaigning works. No, it doesn't. Just somebody naturally is going to win. If candidate B actually didn't respond and didn't climb into the mud, I actually think candidate B would have a better chance of winning. Um, and I'm an example of that. I, my first time, my opponents had always attacked me, and I just refused to to get into the mud and, and, and do that. And, you know, I, I pitched a perfect game in, in, from, in the legislative races. So that's why I just – 
political marketing frustrates me. And, and, and to be honest, I didn't want to uh, hire anybody that came out of that marketing industry. Um, and so I hired private sector marketing talent, uh, private sector marketing communicators, writers, in, in copywriters from corporate America, um, media uh, uh, talent, people that had worked in the media field before. Um, those are the people that I surrounded myself with, and it turned out to, to be the right move. Yeah, it's funny if you surround yourself with smart people who are good at what they do and you know are willing to do open, you know, have open ideas. You can tend to find some success in life, and for some reason, that's not always a path taken by many people. So it's uh, that always especially, makes me laugh, <laughs> especially in politics, my man. So yeah, so how'd you? So after setting up the M seven, what were you guys? You weren't mainly you weren't dealing in NIL at the start of it. So how did you train, find yourself involved in NIL and transition to that? Uh, I believe uh, in reading the bio, you played soccer in college, so you've had some uh, sports backgrounds in your life. So uh, how did that all come together? Well, the the, the common agree, ingredient within agency was that, you know, our, our, our senior graphic designer and our creative director worked as, uh, prior to coming to M7 Agency, worked in the nutrition, sports nutrition universe. Our senior copywriter worked for Dick Sporting Goods, for 17 years. Um, and so, and everybody else kind of either had a passion or played sports and kind of appreciated sports. So we have this team of like all of this experience and we're working in the, the marketing and communication space. And then the Supreme court decision just kind of opened up the floodgates to marketing and communications and branding into college sports. And historically the sports agent had had all the intellectual property in sports, right? Well, if you wanted, you know, you, you hire an agent, hire an agent. But the problem in college was that the agents couldn't get in that space, right? And so, and the NCA was reluctant to allow agents to come in and solidify this new opportunity with NIL. So they looked to marketing and communications and branding companies to kind of come in, and that's what we do on a daily basis at agency. And so we we recognize that opportunity in the markets, but market space right marketplace right away and then sports was such um uh created such an opportunity and it was so unique that we we actually started our own company it was a kind of a subsidiary to agency but really based on a lot of the branding work and marketing and communications work we already did with agency um and so m7 sports was born and then it was really the what really I think expedited M7 sports into the marketplace was when high school sports, particularly the, the Pennsylvania um, uh, PIAA looked to allow marketing um, and communications agencies um, to solidify deals for high school athletes. Now it's not finalized, um, should be finalized by the end of the year. Um, they're two thirds of the way done with the, the new regulation but it, it, in my opinion, is kind of probably where we're talking most, uh, you know, more specifically on the NIL. Is that's where I think the the real opportunity is: is empowering high school athletes to market themselves to decision makers, particularly on the recruitment piece, and as well as the NIL piece when it comes down. Because when those athletes, before they make um, the decision where to go to school. Mm-hmm they have the most oppor- the most power, in my opinion, right? They have the most opportunity to leverage 
their talents and ability prior to making that decision. And as we're seeing, a lot of the college NIL phenom- you know, marketplace is shifting to the recruitment piece. Those things are already, those deals and those agreements are already going to be ironed out prior to them getting to those schools. And so that's where I see the, the market shifting. Yeah, that's interesting. So kind of, you know, taking that, you know, high school recruit, I imagine, is kind of where you're looking, who's being recruited by colleges, where they're going to kind of walk into that NIL stuff and kind of having them prepped and ready to go and at least know a a, a game plan or a, a kind of a path to take. Is that, am I kind of understanding you correctly and where you're thinking there? Yes, because if you look at it, a lot of these schools and, and through their their athletic departments, their booster program they're starting to create uh, the NIL environment for their athletes at their school. Um, they are they're, The colleges are now embracing it. Um, they're kind of merging uh, their old booster programs with this new NIL phenomenon. Now, there will be some that get deals outside of it, but the schools are really controlling it. Um, and so, in my opinion, the school that you pick, whether Division One, Two, or Three, they will have the majority of the NIL, um, I guess, landscape mm-hmm. figured out by the time you get there. You will kind of be uh, choosing the school based on that value proposition that that school has made, and it'll just, you know, it'll kind of uh, be more standardized once you mm-hmm. get there, or at least you can anticipate what that is ahead of time. So yeah, I think it's I think it comes down to the recruitment piece um, and and the recruitment um, conversations where a lot of that will be will be dictated. Yeah, that I think that's really interesting. I mean, I can remember I played just I was recruited to play Division three basketball, played for a year, and ended up transferring. But it's overwhelming. It was overwhelming at that time. You know, thirteen years ago, and I was going, to, I was barely recruited, but going to you know lower level D three schools. And that was overwhelming, and I was a, a nobody who ended up sitting at the end of the bench. I can't imagine it for you know somebody dealing with it on a higher level and and trying to put that all together. And I mean, I remember myself at seventeen; I was an idiot. I mean, I'm still kind of am, but definitely at seventeen. So, it, so having someone there to help and guide and you know kind of you know do that, you know, be there as a partner would I could only imagine be beyond helpful. So, and, and do you kind of envision yourselves as partners with these athletes and kind of, you know, there to help them, you know, find the correct thing? Like you said, the, the systems are kind of being set in place by the schools. Is it, So you're kind of looking at laying out, hey, here's what, you know, school A offers versus what school B is going to offer, and then C is going to kind of give you a different look. Is, is that kind of the idea? Oh, 100%. Um, 100% of what I think, uh, how I see – M7 Sports providing value to, to the families and to the athletes. Um, it's exactly that. Um, it's 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 looking at the those NIL deals and and seeing. Um, all right, they're offering you, um, you know, a quarter of a cent per followers for your social media, right? But your engagement rate is two times what the average is. Like you you can actually negotiate a better. Uh, a better, higher number, right, so to speak. So this deal doesn't make sense, or this deal is kind of counter to your brand and uh, to be that consultant there. Because even those, when you're, not only if you're a 16, 17-year-old kid and, and they're presenting you with these opportunities, is it is it tough? It's even tough when you have a mom and a dad 
very involved in, in trying to help you through that. But even that, it's really tough because you have a marketing component here. You have a financial component of it. And you also have, is this deal um, uh, fair? Fair to me? Um, and so when you have all of these branding elements and, and, and all these interests involved, right? That's the one thing people don't like is that in this NIL, you're basically putting price tags for on 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. What I would say to those people that don't like it is, by the way, that's where the entire advertising industry is going, right? We're going to an influencer model where, you know, um, influencers, and they're not all, they don't all look the same. You know, it's not what you used to think of influencers as, you know, Kim Kardashian, right? No, these are influencers. If you have 2,500, 3,000 followers, you make really good content. The advertising industry is shifting there. And by the way, athletes have always been huge influencers, mm -hmm. right? And so there's YouTube YouTubers out there that are 15, 16-year-olds that are making millions of dollars that aren't athletes. This is just allowing athletes to do what the industry is already shifting to them to do. And it is helpful to have that trusted partner. It's one of the biggest reasons we don't take commission on NIL deals, right? We, we just don't. I think that model is broken um, and for many reasons, but um, we just believe in a flat fee op up front. And the other thing is in this day and age, we're more than contract ne negotiators. Mm -hmm. Like that's the problem with that old agency model, the Jerry Maguire model. McGuire model is that they were just contract negotiators. What about the website and the branding and the logo and the graphic design, and the photography and the video and the editing? Like athletes, influencers, brands need all of those services now, and we're able to offer that as a as an integrated sports agency that many agencies aren't able to do. Well, you kind of answered one of my questions I had. I had what isn't you know you you have the M Seven Sports as an integrated sports agency, so I would assume that's kind of your answer to, to that question. Is you do all those things beyond you know, like you said, the Jerry Maguire, show me the money, Jerry, show me the money. Yeah. And and what he meant there was show me the money from a contract negotiation mm -hmm. standpoint, you know, endorsement deals as well as as contracts, uh, professional contract. But show me the money now is like show me can you build a website. Can you create a logo? Can you sell merch? Um, can you, you know, help raise money for the charity that I, I'm passionate about? Um, can you do social media content? Um, can you do crisis communications when I inevitably I'm a 22-year-old kid that makes a dumb decision, right? <laughs> can you help with the media training? That's all of that is what uh, is what we – why we're an integrated agency and, and why I think we provide – a much greater value to our athletes and our families than someone that just says, Oh yeah, well we can, uh, um, we'll, we'll negotiate you the highest NIL deals available. Like, okay, that's one piece of it. Mm -hmm. So what do you think kind of are some of the biggest challenges that are brought to, you know, college and high school athletes by NIL? You know, what do you see as kind of some of the downfalls and some of the things that they really have to overcome to, you know, be successful with those NIL deals? I think the greatest challenge is, is, is knowing when to say no. And one of them is saying no because it's an, an inadequate deal. It's an unfair deal to you. So that means I should say no to a $250 deal? Like, yes, because your social media platform, your engagement rate is worth $500, right? Or when to say, hey, based on your, your, your engagement rate and your following, you should definitely say yes to this. 
because they're actually offering you a higher amount than you know necessarily I think your following currently is worth, right? Because sometimes they don't know any better either. Um, this is where I think our, our expertise from agency doing this every day for brands and companies on the advertising side really helps create value. But for me, you know as well as I that there's a lot of sharks in this 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 these waters right now that are just trying to capitalize and throw as little bit of money as possible to lock down these athletes into long-term deals that may or may not be uh, a good deal. So I think it's when to say no. Uh, I think it's also who to trust. Um, and I think the hardest part is how do I how do I maximize this kind of opportunity? How do I leverage it? Because that's what sports is for everybody, right? I mean, because there's always life beyond sports, even for Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tom Brady just locked down, what, a $300 million deal for life beyond football, right? And so how can you, like you did and I did, how, did, how could we leverage our athletics and high school athletics to college? And then, you know, if that's where it ends, so be it. And and we probably leveraged it by by even getting to Division Three, which is a stretch maybe for for you and I. But the point there is, let's leverage it for high school at high school for college, college for hi, hopefully a, a full scholarship or a partial scholarship or education money, right? And then how do we leverage that? Hey, maybe we go pro, and how do we leverage that? But there's always life beyond sports, and I always want to remind folks of that and not just remind them like oh hey you know someday the real world's going to sink in but how do we leverage it and maximize it and therefore keep our focus um on life beyond sports because here's one of the things even those select few right so many people talk about how the the small percentage of athletes that go pro but even with those we talk the industry not we the industry talks with finality like even like when you get to pro, they talk like that's the end. But if you're lucky, you might stretch to your mid thirties, your late thirties. And in the whole context, late thirties is old in professional sports, mm-hmm. right? Mid thirties is even old in professional sports, but in the whole scheme of your life, it's so incredibly young. So I think what we work on that integrated professional approach, caring about the, the athletes, their families and their future we can take a, a, a long-term approach, and, and that is so rare in this business where everybody's looking for the quick the quick buck, um, looking right through individuals. Um, that's just not the approach we take. Yeah, I think, you know, when this, you know, when the NIL came out, it's, you know, I think you had half the crowd going, well, it's just making legal what's already been happening, especially at the higher levels of college sports. Mm-hmm. And then you had the other half going, well, now it's, you know, it's going to get dicey, you know, there's going to be people just, you know, doing shady deals and, you know, trying to make the quick buck as fast as they can and taking advantage of kids. So it's, you know, hearing someone talk about, you know, the future, and you said, you know, you mentioned uh, if a pro athlete makes it to 35, I mean, if a pro athlete makes it to 35, they probably had a pretty awesome career in, in a lot of sports. I mean, most of them are two, three, four years would be general, so... Like you said, talking about the long range stuff, that's, you know, that's when you hear from the outside looking in at this NLL, that's not what you hear a lot of people talking about. You hear about, oh, you know, the the kid going to Kentucky to play basketball is going to, you know, ink a big deal. And the guy's going to Alabama to play football, but you don't think about the everybody else's as much and it doesn't get brought up. 
So it's very interesting to hear somebody kind of talking about it in a different light than what's, you know, out in the mainstream per se. Yeah, I'll give the, a lot of the schools a little bit of credit. Uh, I'll give them a lot of credit, actually, because the one thing that some of these big schools have done <clears throat> is they recognize that they can provide value to all the students and they can utilize this uh, NIL change as a way to provide additional skills and talents and resources to their to their students. And I'll give you a good example, public speaking, you know. In this whole NIL phenomenon, not many people talk about public speaking, right? But if this is an opportunity to give um, athletes access to people that can help them work on that skill set, why? Not necessarily to make the NIL deal more valuable, but to make them more valuable in the real world, right? And so if you can improve your public speaking skills, if you can improve your resume, and you can improve your digital footprint, so that you're more marketable later on beyond sports. It, it's a win for everybody, mm -hmm. even that professional athlete, but it's also a win for everybody. And, and, I, and it's empowering those, those young kids with the ability to succeed. It, it's funny you bring up public speaking. I always say half the reason I, I passed college in general was when we'd have to do group projects. Kind of my, my asset to the group was, I didn't mind just getting up in front of people and talking and, you know, whether that's just from me being kind of an idiot and just not caring what people think or whatever it was, I got to kind of coast by on some group projects where I didn't have to do nearly half as much of the work. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll go up there and present it. So it just funny you brought that up, but yeah, it, those things, you know, they matter in life and being able to talk to people. Just, so the public speaking thing, you know, clicked with me. I, that's a, that's a great thing. I've never even considered with the, with the NIL. So it just that that made me laugh a little bit while I was thinking about it. Um, as nil, do you? F <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> something uh, on there. there <laughs> with nil, with nil, do you think it's making it, it? This probably goes more to the you know the higher level Division One schools, but do you think it's making the rich richer and the poor poorer, so to speak, or do you think it's kind of distributing out evenly among the higher you know the more powerful brands like your? Alabama's, North Carolina's, Duke's, places like that, or do you think it's filtering its way through? Uh, great question. I would say any phenomenon, like any any major market shift or opportunity, is is probably going to to benefit the, the top percent, um, and so it's going to make the rich richer. I think to a certain degree, um, but I will say that. The, the opportunity for equity is there. And I do think it's subjective to the, the decision makers that are involved, whether or not they will use it as a platform to create equity. Um, that's kind of to be determined. Um, I will say that I do think the, over, the overall advertising universe is shifting to empower um, individuals that are provide useful engagement and content to move the needle. Right. I think they're putting dollars towards, um, those, those types of, of marketing initiatives. So, you know, the Lauren Burke at Texas, um, has an opportunity, um, to make, I mean, crazy, um, crazy amounts of money or the twins that play volleyball or, um, 
you know, the, the 11th, sixth man on a, you know, Edinburgh University basketball team. We talk about that. There was a guy that one of our, uh, our employees um, played basketball with growing up. And he's like, he wasn't always the best, but like he was featured all the time at the local bar playing hoops because everybody loved him. And if he would have had a social media account, he would have had a million followers. And so I do think there's opportunity for everybody. It's just, it's still to be determined if they will actually get the, the opportunities that I think are available um, or if people just start to, to headhunt. And that's the problem with the, like the 10% commission approach, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> if, if, if there's a, a better funding mechanism, um, then I think you'll have a better chance of having equity across the board. But if we continue to give commissions um, to those that are involved, they're going to headhunt. They're going to go after the million dollar deals. Right. And this is why I think that 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 funding system is is completely wrong um, and why we don't do it. And hopefully it picks up on, you know, people in the marketplace pick up on it um, is that, you know, that that the way of compensating the professionals that are involved, if it's based on a commission, you it's counterproductive to the equity. Mm -hmm. Right. If I can get paid a thousand dollars for providing the same service that I'm going to make $10,000 on, I'm never going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to head on to find more than 10, the $10,000 deal. And the system is broken. So I guess that'll be the indication of whether or not we're shifting um, to a, a more equitable system. Yeah, so kind of piggybacking on that, where do you kind of see the NLI, the NIL landscape in the next 5, 10, 15 years? Just what do you see out there in the future? <sighs> I do think that um, it will become part of the athletic departments kind of across the board. It'll, it will bring um, uh, a lot of this uh, to the programs on the outside, the surface level. Um, I think you'll, you'll look for more of these booster networks um, to become the, the NIL provider for their athletics athletic departments and i think the consultants those that want to do business with those athletes and those programs will work in in collaboration Mm -hmm. um with those programs so i don't see those as competitors to us i see those as collaborators because they're going to need the same level of service they're going to need the graphic design the photography the videography and those services um but we're going to have to run kind of run through those those booster networks that are becoming the preferred NIL providers. Um, so that's the first thing. I think that every compliance department's going to be run through the, um, the athletic department. And then I do think it's going to shift to the recruitment side. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether states allow NILs for high school athletes or not, um, I believe that when you choose your school, the, this is already going to be factored into it. Um, and so therefore, what do I have to do to market, you know, myself? Uh, that's what the, the athlete should be asking in their family. What can I do to market myself or to maximize um, my digital footprint so that these big schools or the school of my choice, uh, they want me? So would that kind of be maybe your your key piece of advice to to athletes, whether high school or college, is really figure out how to market yourself, or do you think there's a, a more important piece for them in looking at NIL? I, I would say 
to the parents, my pitch to the parents are the sooner that you can put a plan in place and a team in place to help your child market themselves and protect their brand, their individual brand. Now, if you want to look at it or that way or not, some people are like, my son's not a brand. He's a person. Yes, I agree. I have two kids. They're people too. But at 15, 16, 17 years old, if they're really talented, they're now a brand. And schools are going to recognize that brand, and they're going to want you to take your brand and integrate it with their brand. And so I think it's, it's, it's healthy um, to get them to appreciate their brand value and, and what their brand identity is at a young age. I would also say um, a lot of what we're spending our time doing is encouraging programs, you know, AAU, travel, junior Olympic programs to start to look at this and to invest in these types of uh, arrangements and, and, and to start to market their team and then their athletes because it's a brand value for them. Similarly, school districts and athletic departments at high school should be promoting and marketing and helping their kids market themselves to college recruiters and to head coaches and not saying to parents, well, this is on you. You should do it. We're not going to do it. I'm not talking about NIL deals. I'm saying this is about college recruitment Mm -hmm. and the NIL deals are really a part of that once you get to college. And that's, so that's where I think uh, the focus should be. But I think it's smart for districts to say, Hey, you know what? We're going to help you market yourself to colleges so you should come here you should move here a lot of times they have not wanted to to take that approach they haven't wanted to help athletes market themselves and therefore market their programs but i think that's where it's shifting similar to what colleges are doing internalizing that into their athletic departments that's very interesting i've never even i guess i never even considered that aspect to it I don't know if maybe I'm I'm thinking of it wrong. But I'm I'm viewing it kind of as like a top a bottom up, you know, form the base, and that can you know translate this further success as you know you move into the recruitment, and then as you say, NIL comes with recruitment now. That's just part of the deal. So if you can set up a good base and a good you know a good following early and get started, it's very important. So how do you how do you counter you know I think I thank God every day that there was no social media when I was, you know, in high school and 15 and 16 and 17. We were getting just kind of the barely, you know, the early beginnings when I was in high school. But how do you kind of counter, you know, you know, like I said, 16, 17, 18 year olds, you know, kind of, you know, just the stupidity that comes out of kids being kids and, you know, having thinking they're having a good time. And you look every every few years you see like at the NFL draft, you know, somebody's old tweets come up. And, you know, now they're in trouble and they're falling, you know, two rounds in the draft or something like that. How do you kind of counter that as, you know, you're working with building a brand and things like that nature? What's what's the counter to that? Is it education? Is it just talking with people and and discussing the effects of what could happen? Well, it's very true um, that one thing we talk a lot about is protecting kids from making mistakes um, and protecting their brands, so to speak. Um, and, and the first record, I think recognition for a child, uh, for kids and it, you know, these kids have to recognize that their social media can be an asset, but it also can be a liability. And ultimately the decisions that they make will affect whether or not their social media is an asset or a liability. Um, and here's the thing about sports, sports, um, uh, have always been for kids, 
a um, a way to get them to appreciate consequences like no one else can make them appreciate consequences. And here's why. If you ask um, my, my son, he's in first grade, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a professional hockey player. Some days he wants to be a professional football player. All right. Well, I will tell you this, that if you go out and you practice every day, you'll be better. What, what do they ultimately do? Well, they go out and they do it, right? But if I also said, hey, the decisions you make with social media and your digital footprint will Im- impact you, all of a sudden they're like, because we all think we can go pro, mm-hmm. right? We all think we can get a Division One scholarship. And so sports make kids and young adults appreciate the consequences of their actions more than anything else, right? And so I hope that 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 this opportunity gets them to think about their decisions and put together a good decision-making um, systems in their lives and, and checks and balances. Um, so, and, and I do think, I think this is one of the things, one of the value propositions I would say to school districts and to programs are, what are you doing to protect your athletes from making these mistakes? Mm-hmm. Are you, the provider of information? Are you the education platform? Are they coming to you for answers and you're providing them? This is why I give colleges a lot of credit, right? Colleges said, wait a minute, you know, good social media habits, good decision-making, good public speaking opportunity, you know, um, skills uh, for the, the, the next phase of their life. High school should be doing the same thing. The problem I have seen so far the schools are freaked out by all of this and they're taking a hands-off approach. So where does the market go? They go to the internet, they go elsewhere and people are left on their own. And that I think is a mistake. So one of the key pieces for these schools is be the provider of answers. Mm -hmm. If you do that, now your value proposition raises your brand value and your parents and your families increase. That's a win. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And, you know, you're kind of talking a little bit about, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know if reinventing the whole process is the correct term, but it's, it's definitely a, a, a major change to the, the system as it is and kind of, you know, breaking down the system and kind of starting it over is always a, a difficult, you know, a difficult challenge. So do you think, do you think it's something that we'll see kind of large scale changes like you're, you're kind of pushing for in the near future, or do you think it's kind of going to be, the status quo for a few more years and, you know, obviously it's such a new, a new environment to deal with. Do you think it changes Jordan, quickly or slowly? Jordan, Jordan I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to end this podcast where we started. And that is a reminder of where I came from. So <laughs> large scale changes in the government, do they come easily or do they come really hard to the point of people wanting to pull their hair out and being like, for the last hundred years, we've talked about, Social Security reform and Medicare reform, and <laughs> right? I mean, I'm skeptical of large-scale changes can happen quickly. But, hey, um, one thing that motivates me every day is to leave it better than I found it. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't get completely to, to these large-scale changes, maybe we can convince school districts, teams, programs, parents, one by one, to take a different approach and to empower their, their son or daughter or their team or their coaches by taking this approach. If we do that, then, you know, maybe I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm also, I think I made a lost it. I'm also a skeptic that, uh, many times, right. But I'm also still an idealist and I still believe that in the power of, you know, the message and the messenger 
um, and, and communication because of uh, uh, platform providers like yourself giving people the opportunity um, to really help people. Mm -hmm. I think it'll show through eventually, and, and and that's really what we're trying to do. Awesome. Well, I think you said it. That I think that's the perfect way to kind of to kind of wrap it up. So, so Jim, I really appreciate you you coming on with us. I thought it was a, a really fun conversation, and you know, hopefully, maybe down the road we'll we'll talk again. And uh, just I'll leave you with you kind of last words. If you got anything you want to pitch or say or or leave us with, if there's any uh, football talk or hockey or anything like that, or any sports teams you need to to give a good shout out to, let us know and. Then we'll we'll wrap this up. Well, I just want to want to thank you again. I think for 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 inviting me on. And if anybody wants to learn more, uh, they can go to m seven sports agency m seven sports agency. You can find us on Instagram or LinkedIn too. Um, but really appreciate it, and uh, congratulations on your Packers getting off the Schneid this week. Hey, it's the first time I've been able to wear this sweatshirt with uh, with a little bit of pride in a while. So I uh, I appreciate it, and we're going to take what we can get this year. <laughs> I mean, the Steelers and the Packers winning on the same week. Like that's, we should, we should, we should cheers to that. Yeah, there should be a parade somewhere. So, <laughs> awesome. Well, right. Jim, again, appreciate it so much. Thank you so much, and uh, I, I really think this was a, a good conversation. So, thank you, and we'll Back hopefully talk again soon. Look forward to it. Thanks, Jordan. Oh, baby, the Packers are back. We're back. We're back, baby. We're back. We are back. 31-28 win over the Cowboys. Little little late rally. 14 points unanswered to send it to OT. We're back. Packers are here, baby. The march to the playoffs starts right now. Probably going to get our uh, march to the playoffs and all this positivity may get crushed pretty quickly on Thursday, but hey, I'm reveling in it. I'm having a good time today. The Packers won. The Packers won a game for the first time since, what, September? I don't think they won. No, it would have been October. Would have been October. Okay, now I got to check. Now I got to check. Yes, their last win came on October 2nd when they beat the Patriots in overtime. So, second overtime win this year. What a, you know, what a fun game actually. Fun game to watch. It's funny, they're much more fun when you're when you're winning. 31-28 win, OT. Rodgers, I believe, is 8-2 versus Dallas. How about that? Rodgers owns Dallas. Rodgers owns Dallas. Christian Watson decided he was just going to catch the ball today, which is a huge improvement. You saw it, too. As soon as he like started catching it, Rodgers was like, okay, I'll throw it to you. God, what a, what a novel concept. We're going to catch the ball, and by catching the ball, we get more balls thrown at us. If we continue to catch them and run faster than other people, we're going to score touchdowns. That's what happened. Four catches, 107 yards, three TDs. I did see, I, it had to have been a Packers account. Some Packers account on Instagram was like, ooh, feeling Randy Moss vibes from Chris. Backer down. Backer down. Quickly. Quickly. Also, also, Aaron Jones got touches. He got a lot of touches. He was successful with those touches. 24 rushing attempts, 138 yards, and a touchdown. Also, two receptions for 18 yards. So, 26 touches. I can't remember if he got targeted at all on any other uh, pass play. So, 207 yards rushing. It was a back-and-forth first half. Then they give up the 14 and the third. I was like, eh, here we go again. But alas, this team didn't quit, which is new. They usually quit. 
they should, you know, call it a day. So, like I said, quick turnaround against the Titans. That's that's asking a lot. That's a that's a tough team. Derrick Henry might run for 225 yards, but but what's the path? Is there a path? There's not a great path, but there is a path. Not a good one. They are two back of the 49ers. The problem is the 49ers are looking better and better each week. Tough, tough. Have to. I would imagine they have to win out. They could maybe lose one game. Maybe lose one game. Ten and seven. Commanders are out in front of them, right there, nipping at their heels. Are the Falcons and the Cardinals also at four and six? The Rams are floating around back there too. That's confusing. So I don't know. We got hope. We got hope. The season isn't. I mean, we wrote the season off, but there's just enough hope now that's going to just drag me back in. It's going to drag me back in, and then I'm going to be disappointed. So uh, upcoming schedule, we got the Titans. Titans this week, on Thursday, Sunday, the next Sunday in in Philly. That that could be where all our hopes and dreams go to die. Then the Bears, winnable, off. Oh, are they off in week 14? I believe they're off in week 14. Yeah, off in week 14. Week 15, Monday night, hosting the Rams, which it could be winnable. At the Dolphins on Christmas Day, that's a tough one. Hosting the Vikings, uh, New Year's Day, tough one. Hosting the Lions. There's three really hard games to win in there, so probably a pipe dream. But, hey, we're going to revel in it. We're going to revel in it. Go Pack Go. On to the rest of the NFL. Holy hell, what a game. Vikings, Bills, just back and forth. You could, Game of the year. Game of the year. One of the better football games I've watched in my life, but no doubt game of the year so far. Whew, I just, I don't even know all I, what to say about it. The Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson was putting the team on his back, just absolutely doing whatever he could. His final stat line was 10 for 193 and a touchdown. Vikings overcome a 17-point deficit in the second half. Look like they're going to win it. At the end of the game, get stopped on the goal line by the Bills. Whew. Then the Bills, they're on the goal line. They're out of QB sneak it out just to get themselves some breathing room. And oh no, Josh Allen fumbled. So then they're down three. What do they do? They drive it right back down the field and they get a field goal. Some great passes to the sidelines, a PI. They kick the field goal. Then in overtime, Vikings get the field goal first. So they help come the Bills. Josh Allen throws an interception, throws an interception in the end zone. But, God, what a game. What an absolute game. Josh Allen, two interceptions and one fumble. Not his best game. You know, dealing with an injury, possibly. He also runs it like he should be playing in, like, 1992 or 1885. Like, just gets out there and is dropping shoulders on people. Here's a little bit of a worrisome thing for Bills fans. The Bills are now in third. Third in their division. Third in their division. The Dolphins and then the Jets by way of tiebreaker higher than them. They have the second wild card spot behind the Jets. 
Patriots are also currently in the wild card. Then you got the Chargers and the Bengals at five and four, sitting right behind them. They better be careful. I don't. I don't think it's time to panic, but they better be careful. I want to say something to time. Time. You should look the fuck out, buddy. Because Tom Brady's coming for you. Tom vs. Time is back, baby. It's on. The GOAT is coming. Another win for Tom Brady. Single Tom Brady, 2-0. Here we go. He's back. He's ready. The crowd in Munich was awesome. They're singing John Denver, Country Roads, you know, hanging around after the game, doing all the singing. What a cool sight. I don't think it's that many more years until there's a probably a whole division in Europe. If they can figure out the, I don't know, I don't know if they can sustain it for like, you know, a full season, if the that, that kind of, you know, attendance and stuff comes and stays with it, but they've been getting great crowds in London. This Germany crowd is great. I would imagine somewhere in the NFL headquarters, they're thinking about, can we put an entire division in Europe? Can we put a team in Germany? Can we put a team in London? So then you do like a, you know, a couple, you do three or four games over there at a time when you go and you kind of do a run. I don't know if that's feasible yet, but I bet you somebody in the NFL headquarters is thinking about it. Other things around the NFL, Dolphins put a beat down on the Browns. Jeff Saturday, the much maligned hiring of Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday gets a win. His first win, 1-0. You know what? I'm on Team Jeff Saturday just because everybody was bitching. What, we're supposed to give John Fox or somebody else another, you know, the same three NFL coaches are supposed to get the same chance over and over and over and over and over. Screw it. Is Jim Irsay crazy? Probably. But who cares? Let's just see what Jeff Saturday can do. What was Like, what did they have to lose? What did they have to lose? I, I don't care. Let's do it. Go for it. I'm in. I'm all in. Let's just see what we can do. I'm on Team Jeff Saturday. I'm on that bandwagon. You know who did get a win this week? Arizona Cardinals. They're now 1-2 and two since the new COD came out. Unfortunately for Kyler Murray, he didn't play, so he's still 0-2 since COD came out. 49ers, man. Are they, are, are they a Super Bowl contender now? They get a good win on Sunday Night Football over the Chargers. McCaffrey, another solid game. Can Jimmy G do it? Can Jimmy G be the dude? They got they got pieces. They got pieces. Are they a contender? I think they're a contender. I think the contenders in the NFC are the Eagles, obviously. The Vikings, for sure. Don't sleep on Tom. Don't sleep on Tom. And I don't buy the Seahawks out in the West, so I think it's the Niners. And, you know, the Giants, man, I, I also don't think, I think the Cowboys are still solid. I think they just don't do well at Lambeau against Tom, against Aaron Rodgers for whatever reason. We got Commanders and Eagles tonight. Let's see if uh, the Eagles, this is one of the Eagles' tougher games they've played so far this year. Their season's been a little funky. So let's see if they can, you know, continue on and continue to stay unbeaten on Monday Night Football. The Commanders take down the Eagles in Monday Night Football, giving them Giving the Eagles their first loss. Eagles jumped out, got ahead early. It was 14-7 after the first, and then it was all Commanders from there. Commanders scored, what's that, 16 and 25 of the next 32 points. 
Eagles scored a, a touchdown in the fourth. It was 26-21 at one point in the fourth, and Hurts hit somebody deep, and they fell down after they caught it. When they came up, they just hadn't, like, I don't know, totally grabbed the ball. I think it was, was it Quez Watkins? And got up and fumbled. Like, that was their moment, I think. I mean, I think they keep that ball. They probably, you know, maybe they score. Maybe they don't. But, hey, maybe they score, and they probably score, and, you know, they end up winning the game. But that was the moment, and the Eagles turned it over, I think, four times. And I think they'd only turned it over three times this year up to that point. So that'll do you. That'll do you in. But uh, Heineke was yeah nothing special there, 17 to 29. Scary Terry, though, 8 for 128. Yeah, Hurts, 17 and 26 for 175. Oof, not great. Not great. Not, not great. Yeah, shoot, jeez. Fumbles from Quez Watkins, Devontae Smith, Devonta Smith, I think. Dallas Goddard all have fumbles, and then Hurts has an interception. Oof, oofta. That, uh, that's not the, the recipe for winning football right there. So no more undefeated teams. We move on to week 11 next week. Like we said, Titans, Packers, Packers are three point favorites. Oh my goodness. I don't know, baby, but we're back. We're back in. We're all the way back. Rams, Saints, Saints giving three. I like that. Rams seem to be a mess. Bears at Falcons. Ooh, minus two and a half. Falcons giving two and a half. Jets getting three at the Patriots. That's an interesting one. I like the Giants giving three to the Lions at home. Take Giants minus three. Put that one on the books. Browns getting nine and a half in Buffalo. I like that. Do I though? Bill's going to bounce back big. Broncos minus two and a half at home against the Raiders. I'll take the Broncos. The Raiders are a mess. Cincinnati's giving five in Pittsburgh. That's crazy. Ooh, game of the week. Cowboys at Vikings. Vikings only a one point. Vikings are a one-point dog at home? I get no respect. No respect to Vikings. No respect. Sunday night, Chiefs Chargers. 49ers Cardinals on mine. Ooh, that's down in Mexico. Those are some good games. Good games in the primetime slots this week. So, well, another fun week NFL. I guess we got to talk about the Flyers. What a disappointing week this was. A home, you know, kind of a homestand. Just one road game. Three home games this week. Disappointing from a fan's point of view, too. I was unable to watch the games on Saturday and Sunday. Apparently, YouTube TV does not carry the NHL network, and so those games don't go on ESPN+. Plus. Me having ESPN+, Plus was one of the reasons I became a hockey fan. I was like, oh, I'm going to have all these hockey games I can watch. So, disappointing. Disappointing hockey week for me this week. And also, maybe the Flyers are just starting to show their colors. But it starts off good. They win two in a row. Two games in a row. On Tuesday, following up or win on Saturday that we talked about last week, they beat the Blues five to one, putting it on them. We're looking good. Then we get drummed the rest of the week. Five two loss against the Blue Jackets. Four one loss against the Senators. The loss against the Senators was a home game. Five one loss at home against the Stars. Just drummed, absolutely drummed. Two single points from the week. Falling, falling in the standings now. This is not good. This is not good. Got uh, got three more opportunities. Got the Blue Jackets Tuesday night. Tuesday night for the Blue Jackets. They're not a good team, by the way. 
The Blue Jackets are 4-9-1 as of the time of recording. Then the Bruins in Boston. That ain't going to be good. The Bruins are good. Are really good. They're the best team in the league. It's not going to be good. They're 14-2. Oosh, oosh, oofka. And then the Canadians on Saturday at Montreal. Canadians are solid. They're not going to, you know, beat the doors down, but they're solid. You know, Flyers now fifth, fell in the fifth in the Metropolitan Division of the Eastern Conference. Three back are the Rangers. They have played a few less games, but I mean, the Devils have only played 15 games as well. They've scored 24 points, 12 wins. No overtime losses, just 12 straight wins. So yeah, Flyers need to uh, Flyers need to figure it out. Got to do something. Got to figure it out. All all away games this week on the road this week. So got to get got to get something figured out. NCAA football. Clarky's corner first. Let's go there. Wrapping up last week, we have starting off LSU minus three was the pick. So that one's going to be a push. They beat Arkansas thirteen ten. So we both pushed that. OK State was getting one point. They beat Iowa State 20-14. to That's a win. I was tailing Clarkie there. I was also tailing them on Washington plus 13.5. They beat Oregon 37-14. to Outright win. Tailed him there as well. Where I did not tail him, I took Syracuse. They were getting 6.5 points. Did not go well. Florida State, 38-3 to win. Big loss for all walls there. So... Clarkie goes 3-0-1, Old Walls 2-1-1 on the year. Clarkie moves to 25-21-2, Old Walls 27-18-2. This week, he likes Tulane minus 3 against SMU, LSU minus 14 versus UAB. I see we've reached that point of the SEC schedule. Ohio minus 4 versus Ball State, and Duke plus 7.5 versus Pitt. We're tailing them on Duke because Duke always covers people. They always cover. I'm going to tail them on LSU because UAB. Let's go SMU. I'm going to run SMU. I'm going to take the three. And you know what? Screw it. Let's go Ball State. There we go. All right. This past week, didn't watch a ton of college football. Penn State handled their business against Maryland 30-0. They've got two games left at Rutgers. Should win that. Home against Michigan State, that's a little tougher, but should win that as well. So, this should be a 10-2 season. Just get it done. Tennessee, I flipped this game on at one point when it was 28-24 in the play in the Mizzou. Next thing you know, I see the scroll across the bottom line that they won 66 to whatever. twenty. Did they win 66 to 20? Yeah, 38 unanswered. 66 to 24. Wow, 38 unanswered points from the like the middle of the third quarter on. That was impressive. Very, very impressive. Alabama, they're apparently not dead yet, we've learned. Everyone wanted to write off old Alabama. Everybody's catching up to Nick Saban in Alabama. Mm-mm, not yet. Not yet, people. They take down Ole Miss. Washington, we mentioned, big upset. I believe that game was pretty crazy. Things were happening. I didn't see it, but I heard it was nuts. TCU, undefeated, undefeated. They're hanging tough. They're staying in that top four. Top four remained unchanged pretty much, I think, coming up tomorrow. I think it's going to be the same. I think you're going to see 
Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and TCU. All are going to be your top four. Uh, like I said, not much this week for me in college football. I didn't watch a ton. So next week, uh, a couple games. Georgia at Kentucky, USC at UCLA, Utah at Oregon. Um, so, yeah, Oregon, that was a that was a big loss with U, uh, Washington beating them. They were kind of like, you know, one of the next teams, next couple teams out with just that one loss. Now with two losses, they're probably pretty cooked. So, all right, like I said, quick one for, for the NCAA this week. That's all I got. Fight time, fight time. Just UFC this week for me to talk about. I, I guess I'll just mention, WBC ordered a bunch of fights in boxing. Andy Ruiz versus Deontay Wilder was one of them. Errol Spence Jr. versus Keith Thurman. There were a couple others. Those are the, pretty much the two big ones. We'll see if anything actually happens. You know, it's boxing. So, who knows? All right, moving on. UFC. UFC 281. Good card. Good card. Good fights. I watched a couple of them, a couple of moments of them. I watched all of Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler. And as I said, going into it, that was the fight I was most excited about. And it did not disappoint. Michael Chandler is in great fights all the time. I don't know if his strategy is the best for winning because he's going 187% at all times. He's just, you know, he's running the running gun offense, but he can't sub out for anybody. So he's just going full bore at all times. So he ends up losing. Dustin Poirier is a stud. Weathers a just hell of a second round from Chandler. Then ends up Chandler, I think, was gassed. And ends up catching him in a rear naked to uh, to put it out. So that that was fun. Alex Pereira, this dude just got Israel Asanias number because when he knocked him out, he was they stopped it probably a little quick. But you know they always say a little better to stop at a punch too soon than a punch too late. But he was just laying it on Izzy. And I know I saw Adesanya say, "Oh, you know, I just I thought the stoppage was early. You know, I I could have kept. I didn't see the whole comment, but he was kind of like, well, I could have kept going on the stoppage.'" I, too soon, I could have withstood it. Homie, you was going down. He was putting it on you. Putting it on you. You weren't staying up. So, in the predictions, my brother, 3-2 and two this week. 3-2. and two. He thought, what do he have? He had Claudio Pelus, Pelulis, and... Israel Adesanya were his pr- predictions that went wrong. I believe I went one and four. I believe the only one I got right was Dan Hooker. I think I went Frankie Edgar. I know I went Chandler. I think I said Carlos Barza, and I know I said Asanya. So at best, I could have gone two and three, but I'm pretty sure I went one and four. So not great. Not great. UFC this weekend. It looks like we got a little bit of an afternoon card. My balls is hot. Derek Lewis, he's coming back. Always a good time to watch my balls is hot. Gotta love when my balls is hot fights. I don't know if there's any big boxing events this week. And I don't know where my boxing schedule is. So if there are, I'll talk about them next week. Passing thoughts time. Passing thoughts. So midterms. Midterms just happened. They... All of a sudden, like late into the, uh, you know, the, I guess the polling portion, you know, the last couple of weeks, it was like, oh, red waves coming. Started off the night, looked like it was going to happen, then just turned out it didn't. By, you know, this point of the week, you know, a week after, which is redonkulous, 
it seems the Democrats are going to they're going to hold the Senate. They may even take a, a one seat lead. All is going to kind of depend on that runoff in Georgia. The Republicans are slated to take the House, but you know, God only knows what is going on. I think I think that's still the you know the idea is that that's what's going to happen. So we'll see. So not a whole lot of change. Maybe a little you know a little gridlock with the uh, the Republicans having the House and the Democrats retaining the Senate. They're at worst case going to have a split in the Senate, and with the vice president being the president of the Senate, they will. I don't know if that's the correct term, but that's, she's the deciding vote if there ever has to go something to it. A couple of things I found funny from uh, election night or week. On election night, my man Rex Chapman, who's a total jackass, was losing his ever-loving mind. I don't know if he still feels this way now that the uh, <clears throat> now that the um, the the Democrats fell the Senate, but at one point. This is somewhere around 8, 8 o'clock Central Time, so 9 o'clock uh, Eastern Time. He tweets, fucking Rand Paul, fucking Ron DeSantis, fucking Marco Rubio. Our democracy is absolutely and positively fucked. Such a sad commentary on our electric and what they stand for and the kind of people they are. I wonder if he still feels that our democracy is absolutely fucked now that the Democrats have retained control of the Senate. Be interesting. I went to his Twitter, but the dude is such a fucking loose cannon. Like, he's an idiot. And his Twitter, he needs help. He is mentally unwell. Also, just remember, just remember the people that say shit like this. Such a sad commentary on our electorate. You know what, man? Fuck this guy. This guy hates the American people. He hates people that disagree with him, and he thinks he's better than people. This guy is a total and absolute fucking douchebag. Maybe he should go rob another Apple store. He's the worst kind of person there is. Disagreements are going to happen amongst people, but he thinks you're a piece of shit person because you don't think the way he does. Fuck him. Fuck Rex Chapman. He's a fucking douchebag. Okay. I've had my piece now. Oh, Beto O'Rourke lost again. That dude just keeps losing fucking elections and just spending millions and millions of dollars to do it. So, what a loser. Also, I saw this was a funny tweet. They're like, maybe every Republican in the country shouldn't have just moved to Florida. I thought that was pretty funny, too. All right, moving on. So I'm watching TV the other night last week, and it, at one point it's like doing like – I must have been watching NBC. I don't know if I was – what was I – was it maybe – no, it wouldn't have been Thursday night football because that's not on NBC. Whatever it is, I see it – I maybe I was just looking – I think I was just looking through the guy. Now I'm thinking that's what I was doing. And <clears throat> the guy at like 8 o'clock on Wednesday night, it's like NBC Wednesday night lineup. Chicago met at 8 o'clock. And I was like, okay. And I look forward one night, 9 o'clock. Chicago Fire. I was like, oh, tell me. Tell me there's one more. And sure enough, 10 o'clock. Chicago PD. So Wednesday nights on NBC, it's Chicago night. You run through all the first responders there. Love it. Had uh, had my first of three Thanksgiving dinners this week. Got leftovers. Hosted this one. Made my turkey. Made a turkey first time. I, I think I did a pretty darn good job. I'm going to point that out. But yeah, Thanksgiving dinner. I love it, man. I had 
leftovers for lunch today. Oh, you can't beat it. There's people out there in this world. There's people out there in this world. I'll leave most of them unnamed, but not you, Coach Jeff Slanovic. Friend of the program, Coach Jeff Slanovic. But he's got a very, very bad opinion. And he says Thanksgiving dinner is overrated. You know what, Coach? You're wrong. You're very wrong. I can't wait for two more with all the leftovers. With all the leftovers. So it's also this time of year when you get, you know, cold weather starts to show up in the parts of the country I've lived in in my life. And one of the best things about cold weather, one of the only good things about cold weather is you can just leave that case of beer in the garage. You can leave it on the deck. You can leave it on the porch. Leave it outside the back door. Wherever you need to leave it. If you leave it outside, it's cold. You can just go out and grab a cold beer from the from that case of beer just sitting outside the back door, sitting in the garage. It's perfect, man. You just walk out there. You don't have to worry about fridge space. You don't even have to take it out of the box. You just go out there and you poop. Got yourself a nice cold beer. I also built a, a raised garden bed from scratch. Just some from pieces of wood. With some nails and some wood glue. Not nails, screws rather. Some screws, some wood glue. glue. Did some drilling. Clamped it together and off we go. Me and the pops made it. Raised garden bed. We're all set. I'm a I'm a craftsman now. Oh, I saw a funny, funny picture. It was, let me find it. You guys know how I have to find me things here. <clears throat> okay. Jason Baker on Twitter. Baking Jason. Ooh, good Twitter handle. Good Twitter handle. The fact that The Undertaker and IRS were never a tag team called Death and Taxes might be the biggest missed opportunity in wrestling history. <clears throat> that sounds like a total like 80s, early 90s WWE tag team, and it would have been amazing had that happened. And I'm, I'm hurt. I'm hurt a little bit that it didn't. <sighs> hurt. Ladies and gentlemen, moving forward this week, we're going to be playing some video games, I think. At least giving it a try. Giving it a start. Warzone 2 is out. I believe Wednesday of this week. The 16th. I'm excited. That, you know, oh, Warzone. When Warzone came out, <coughs> excuse me, a little dry throat. Oh, when the first Warzone came out, early 2020, you know, then we all get shut into lockdown. It was just what we were doing. And it, there's just those magical moments when, you know, everybody's on the same thing together. Warzone. Early Fortnite, you know, when everybody's doing it, everybody's talking about it, everybody's doing it. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping this new Warzone's gonna be good. I don't know that it's gonna. It's got some different elements to it. Might be a little more like blackout, but I'm excited. The group chat's been the group chat's shown a little, you know, little signs of life. The the Warzone group chat. Maybe we'll get the maybe we'll get the band back together. You never know. You never know. But we're gonna give it a go. So wives, girlfriends. Significant others, whatever they may be, you may be sacrificing some time. We're not going to Verdansk. We're going to somewhere. Hopefully, it gives us the same feeling as Verdansk. Because Warzone's back, baby. Here we go. And let's end it on this. Let's end passing thoughts right here. This uh, this Sunday, put a little parlay in. Started with the Lions. Then it moved to the Colts. Then to cap it off. It was the Green Bay Packers. And for those of you who can't count, that's not a one team. That's not a two team. That's a three team parlay, and that hit. Three team parlay, baby! Let's get it up in this bitch!
Okay, everybody, closing time. Let's get this thing wrapped up. As always, thank you to everybody who listened. I appreciate all of you. I, I can never say enough how much I'm appreciative of, of all the listens and everything. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Big thanks to our guest this week, Jim Christiana. Thank you for uh, taking a shot and coming on and talking to us. I enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully you did, and hopefully the, the listeners did as well. So thank you very much. As always, people, like I said at the top of the show, we're coming back next week. We're coming back for the foreseeable future. Come join us. Come hang out with us. You know, there's more NFL to talk this coming week. There's going to be more college football. There's going to be more hockey. There's going to be more everything. So until next week, peace.